This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. Views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. You're listening to the Detroit Sports Rag Podcast. Simon Cowell, a broadcast. Plagiarized the work of a blogger, David Harnes. Now, what's going on with that? Where's my number? Sorry. It was cotton sending back. I had a few too many, and I just drove home, and then just fucking, yeah. Is it true you sexually harassed a co worker uh, oh, in a college newspaper? To Detroit Sports website. Uh, I don't say this. This 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 puke isn't even worth being mentioned. The only time we should mention him is for his obituary. Except okay. no one will care when he's dead. We're talking to T. Foss, Terry Foster, ninety-seven-one. Uh, this guy got his hands into everything: failed restaurants, failed marriages, failed liquor licenses. This guy's an animal. I make good choices nowadays. Before we get started, Jeff Moore. Is that correct? Lawrence, you here to do the interview today or yeah. what's the deal? Yeah, no, I just... All right. Well, we, we, I'm sure Terry greatly appreciates that. The other thing is, you, you guys are raising hell out there in Detroit, aren't you? I, I, I've got the people telling me, you better not go on that show with those guys. Those guys are making everybody angry and getting them mad and doing stuff. So you're, you're creating quite a stir back there in Detroit. The DSR Podcast, as always, brought to you by the good folks at CaliTickets.com. That's Cali, C-A-L-I, Tickets.com. You can reach them at their website or call them at 877-225-8425. No Tigers tickets to purchase any longer. I guess if you want to see that abortion down at Ford Field and subject yourself to that, they, uh, they've got three home games over the next three Sundays, so you can torture yourself with that garbage. The Red Wings season on the cusp, Pistons coming up. So you, there's still things. I, I got to call Mark Goldman over at uh, Cali Tickets and see if he can hook me up with some Coheed and Cambria seats for Thursday in Louisville, Kentucky. 
If you mention the DSR, if you mention Officer Barbrady, if you mention that cunt Lynn Henning, that reprobate Anthony Fennick, you will get a 10% discount on your ticket order. So that's Kelly Tickets, kellytickets.com, 877-225-8425. There is a lot to get to this evening. It's a rare occasion where we could actually discuss all four Detroit sports teams because there's things going on with all of them. Uh, very little, very little of that being good. But this is this, this is a show where we can discuss the Tigers' premature end of their season, the Lions' one and three start, the Pistons possibly moving downtown. I'm going to get to a comment that Jeff Blashill made earlier today, which might be as aggravating as anything we saw over the weekend from the teams on the field. Yeah, Jessica's asking me if I need something to drink, and I, you can just yell it out. I mean, something stronger than that. So I need some some liquor here. I will begin, though, before we get into the absolute horror of the Tigers' season and what's going on with the Lions, which we will get to in depth shortly. I'll start off with my weekend in New York. Uh, My wife had her birthday, and I'm supposedly not supposed to say what age she is now, but it was her birthday and she wanted to go to New York City. Being the neurotic Jew that I am uh, and scared of everything, I didn't want to go to the Big Apple. I've never been there up until last Thursday. I've avoided it like the plague, uh, mainly because I'm afraid of crowds. Not that I'm afraid of crowds, they just disturb me um, because I am paranoid of terrorism and uh, theft and just about everything else as I was raised like uh, to be terrified of everything including crossing 10 Mile in Southfield by my mother. But I put that all aside because my wife wanted to go there for her 40th birthday on the drive there as we drove because I hate flying and I didn't want to do that either. So we made the nine and a half hour trek to New York by car Uh, on the way there Thursday morning learned that unbelievably there was a subway crash which killed one and injured a hundred others I think one stop from where we were we actually stayed in Jersey City and not New York because I didn't really want to stay in the in New York for the reasons I stated previous I think we were one stop from on, on the subway from where that crash occurred in Hoboken. So that got off to a rousing success. A uh, couple interesting things happened there, a couple positive things. I didn't get blown up by a uh, crock pot, and no planes flew into any buildings when I was there for 96 hours. Uh, on Friday, I was able to cash in any currency that I have uh, ascertained 
by the hit him with the hind movement that I helped launch on the Howard Stern show. And I actually got to uh, get a tour of the uh, serious Howard Stern studios in midtown Manhattan. Thanks to Stern show associate producer, Jason Kaplan. Uh, that was a uh, interesting time. That That's a pretty uh, impressive office space studio that they have at Sirius. Stern has his own compound there inside the Sirius building, which is on the 36th floor of, I forget what building, one of the publishing houses in, in New York. Uh, got to meet all of the uh, back office people on the Stern show, including um, Sal Governale and Richard Christie. Actually, we were taken into their studio while they were in the middle of a prank, so uh, that wasn't exactly uh, a long introduction, but we did get to meet Sale and Richard, Shuley. The, everyone was pretty much the way you would imagine they would be based on their personality on the show. If you are a Stern Show listener, which I've been for, you know, 20-some-plus years, got to meet J.D. Harmeyer, who called me that douchebag from Detroit, a few weeks ago on the air because, you know, I assisted in promoting the hit him with the hind thing. John Hine, his friend who I met, John was very friendly. We talked about Michigan football, some common people that we knew. He was actually, uh, it was a highlight to actually talk to John about Harbaugh and he's actually going to uh, the Michigan Rutgers game this weekend. We discussed uh, all of that stuff and he was pretty good sport about the hit him with the hind stuff. Will Murray, obviously Jason, as I said, got in the studio, saw the Gary puppet, uh, the Jackie puppet, all of those uh, artifacts from the show. JD, basically, if you listen to JD on the show, that was basically the JD we got. He, uh, we were introduced to him, and he just mumbled some things that neither my wife, Melissa, or I could understand at all. But that was a good time. On Saturday night, uh, real quick, some people wanted to hear the story. It was kind of wasted Saturday night and said I would write an article about it. And then when I woke up Sunday, I thought better of it. But Melissa wanted to go to a um, comedy show while we were in New York. So I said, well, we'll go to the Comedy Cellar. If anyone's watched the Louis C.K. show on FX. Show's awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the beginning is when he goes to the Comedy Cellar, grabs a piece of pizza, walks down there. So I said, okay, we'll go dip, go go there. Try to get into a ten twenty five showing. Uh, we didn't get in, so we got on the waiting list for the twelve twenty five um, performance. Who'd you guys see? Well, that's I'll, yeah, I'll tell you that. That's that's that's, that's that's kind of strange. That's kind of crazy. So we get on the waiting list, and we get there at about twelve fifteen when they tell us to, and they're going over all the people who are getting in, and they list. Everybody, everybody standing there waiting to get in is announced except for us. So Melissa goes up to the bouncer and says, well, you didn't say us. And he's like, oh, okay. So we were the last people to get in. We got the last Mm -hmm. spot in the 1225 showing. So we get in there. And the first two, they had the MC and then they had the first two acts were two random Jewish broads from New York. One who works for the Daily Show and another who, I don't know, she was kind of funny, but I never heard of her before. And we had no idea. I, I had looked the night before who was going to be performing on Saturday night, but I didn't recognize anyone. I think Judah Friedlander was the only person 
that I had recognized the name. But when we were walking down into the comedy cellar, down those stairs, I walked right by Aziz Ansari. <gasps> so I love that guy. So I figured, oh, at the very least, maybe Aziz is going to be performing tonight. So, well, that's going to be good. It's be someone I know, and I think he's pretty funny. I like his stand-up. I love him. So I'm thinking, all right, we can probably see about four or five acts before that, and then maybe Aziz is going to close the show. So we're sitting there. The two Jewish uh, yentas get, get done with their program. MC comes back and says, I'm now going to bring to a stage a guy I just toured with you know, the UK with for a couple weeks. Uh, welcome to the stage, Dave Chappelle. What? Yeah. So a com- That's way better. Yeah, so, an, <laughs> so a completely inebriated Dave Chappelle gets on stage with a drink in his hand and starts talking about Trump and some other things and just kind of not really stand-up. He's just kind of talking. There was no real mm-hmm. act there. He was pretty wasted. He was at a um, – right down in Midtown, they were having some concert for The Roots. The Roots were having like oh, a festival. Awesome. So it was a Roots Festival, and he just came from there drunk as hell. He brought one of the Roots. I don't know which Root it was, but it wasn't the one that I know. You know, the guy, right. you know, the main guy on uh, The Tonight Show who does that, whatever his quest love. It wasn't him. It was some other Root. And he came on and was playing the piano. And then Chappelle said he needed a cigarette. Did anyone have a cigarette in the audience? <laughs> and John Mayer was sitting, I guess, in the front row or oh, over in a booth. He's my favorite musical douchebag. Yeah, so that so that goof, he got up and gave him a cigarette. Chappelle kept doing a couple minutes more of his act. And the next thing we knew, Chris Rock. What? Walks, yeah. Chris you Rock. got so freaking lucky. Chris Rock, Chris Rock walks on the stage. I'm so jealous right now. And now Chappelle... And Rock are basically just there, there's no act. They're just talking and going off on each other. Uh, Chappelle Rock was that making funny. Yeah, it was pretty good. Rock <laughs> making fun of Chappelle for leaving millions and millions of dollars on the table by leaving his Comedy Central. Show. I mean, how can you not touch right. on that? <laughs> so he was fucking with him with that, and then Chappelle responded by saying, "Well, that might be a lot of money, but it was nothing compared to the 50% you just had to give your wife because they just got divorced a couple months ago. So they were just like ripping on each other, one for getting divorced and having not, not having a prenup, and then you know, and Rock going after Chappelle for acting like a, a lunatic for the last few years and basically giving up on show business. So then so they're so they're going off on that. Like I said, Chappelle was pretty drunk. He kept singing Wu-Tang Clan songs. Um, they were actually on for for about I don't know two and a half hours I don't think it ended till three wow some point some point well then Aziz came on oh come on so then on. it was Aziz Chris Rock Chappelle jealous. the guy from the Roots and then they found John Mayer a guitar I hate you right now they found John Running Mayer on board yeah, the show <laughs> right. well then the show's gonna end or we're not gonna have any breaks and it just the show will still be going on when the undercard people come in <laughs> so then John Mayer gets a guitar. And then he didn't do any stand-up, really, which I supposedly he does stand-up also, I guess, there. He does? Yeah, but, you know, I guess he didn't really want to do that with Aziz and I mean, Chappelle you can't compete with Rock. them, so. Yeah, on stage. Uh, but, yeah, so he was just playing songs that that Chappelle was just, like, just saying. He played, you know, Nirvana, play this, play that, and he was just playing the song, play Prince. <laughs> so that's 
that was basically That's the night awesome. on Saturday, which was which I think it cost us like twenty bucks plus drinks. That, that is was, the best damn twenty dollars hands down you've probably ever spent in your life. Yeah, I would have to say. It was quite interesting. Like I said, it wasn't there was no act. It was just them just, just getting up there and just talking just about being their drunk lives and, and making fun of each Chris other. Rock really wasn't drunk, but Chappelle, I think and I kind of think that's why Rock got up there. Right. Because I think she sensed that Chappelle might have been a little sloppy. Right. And it, he just got up there and they just started just riffing off each other. But it was pretty good. <sighs> that's so, epic. What wasn't great over the weekend, unless you are like me and you were actually rooting against the Lions. We're going to get to the The Tigers are going to take a while. So I think we'll just start with the Lions. Um, and, and as I said earlier today on Twitter, they're really – as a Detroit sports fan, there is absolutely nothing at all to be excited about unless you root against the Lions. And that's the only joy I'm getting right now out of being a Detroit sports fan. There, what else is there? Not only are the Tigers eliminated, they didn't make the playoffs with a $205, $210 million payroll where they also had to pay the luxury tax. After that, we're getting stories, which we'll get to after the break, from all of the Tiger beat writers uh, basically admonishing us for having too high expectations for the season while being in sh- lectured what a great manager Brad Osmus is and that we're all stupid and we're all wrong. So we have that. This quote, which we'll get to later, from Jeff Blashill, the naked goalie, the coach of the Detroit Red Wings. On the day that Justin Abdelkader was made an assistant uh, an alternate captain on the Red Wings, an assistant, alternate, whatever you want to call it. Quote, if you're, you, if you're a guy coming in, you're trying to show us when you are going to make us better. When you're Timu Pulkinen, probably when you're Gus Nyquist, probably when you're Thomas Tatar, when you are guys who aren't like Justin Abdelkader, who brings other things like physicality and size and net presence, ultimately you've got to produce points. So that's where we're at with the Red Wings. In the middle of training camp, in the middle of exhibition season, where we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop for this shitty roster to be set to see who gets waived, who gets sent back to Grand Rapids, that's what we have with the Red Wings. We know what we have with the Tigers, which is nothing bupkis at this point, as we are, uh, you know, I guess a couple hours away from the Blue Jays and Orioles playing in a game that we thought Detroit would be in last week to make the uh, best of five ALDS. And then you have the Lions. And I wonder if Jessica remembers a few weeks ago when our former co-host, Jasper Apollonia, was in here. And we had an argument about the Lions when I said that they were going to go 4-12 and or 5-11. and mm-hmm. And Jasper started screaming at me, telling me to shut the fuck up, that they were a 9-10 or 10 win team because of the awful schedule. I don't know if you recall that. You probably are trying to, you no. know, probably trying to forget anything that Jasper <laughs> screamed at me during his short tenure as the uh, co-host here. The, let's just go over the ESPN power rankings real quick. Twenty-six ranked team in the NFL, and if just in case you don't know, there's thirty-two teams. 26th, the Indianapolis Colts. 27th, the Tennessee Titans. 28th, the Chicago Bears. 
right in a row. And do you know what all those teams have in common? They have been on the Lions' schedule. The Lions have played, in my opinion, the worst schedule in the NFL to date. Three one and three teams, and maybe one of the worst Green Bay Packer teams we've seen in years. That's the four games. And this team is one in three. And if not for Chuck Pagano's absolute malpractice in week one, they would be 0-4 with that schedule. This team is, get ready for it, an embarrassment again. 1-3 with the easiest schedule in the NFL. And really, if you look at it, moving forward, the schedule isn't that difficult either. But I don't want to hear about the schedule anymore. When you go into Soldier Field this past Sunday and you can't score an offensive touchdown against the Chicago Bears. Hmm? Caller? What number is it? What's the, what's the prefix? Is it 810? Yeah. Oh, no. Well, let's take the call. Maybe it's Spiro again. Call while you're there. Good evening. <laughs> Hi, Justin. Hi, guys. How's it going? Is this now the regular thing where you well. just call in the middle uh, of the I show? I'm in on this Lions issue, if I may. All right. Well, we, before we get to that, I just want to give up the, the amount of points the Chicago Bears gave up in the three games prior to playing the Lions, who didn't score an offensive touchdown and didn't score a touchdown of any sort until punt return when it was pretty much the game was over in the last two minutes against the Texans, not exactly known for their. Uh, run-and-shoot offense, 23 points. The Eagles, 29 points. The Cowboys in a backup quarterback, 31 points. They had given up, uh, my quick math there, 83 points in three games to their opponents. The Lions walk in to Soldier Field in a game that even I thought, Spiro, they were going to win. It was upsetting as that was. They go in and lose 17 to 14 in a game that that wasn't that close to go 1 in 3. What say what do you have to say about this? Well, just a, a big picture view and this is something we talked about when I was, you know, a part of the DSR and all that jazz. So so what are you now considering you call every week on the phone? Are you used to caller now? I'm just a caller, just a fan calling in. Oh, okay. But what we talked about at the time when Jim Caldwell was retained is that your theory was that Martha Ford was not going to require that move be made. I said all along that Caldwell would stay because Martha would order that. But let's just say Martha didn't order that and that this was Bob Quinn's decision. Either way, I don't like either door. It's either option A, Bob Quinn's an idiot and thought Jim Caldwell should stay, or it's option B, where the ownership of this team is still dictating to their subordinates whom they're going to hire, whom they're going to fire, and everything has to go through them to an almost servile and micromanaged degree. So either way, it has to be one or the other, and neither option is good. It's just the perpetual state of this franchise. I I, I think Martha's no different 
from Bill for just the same same deal. It's the, the good old boys network down there. Jim Caldwell is in Martha's uh, heart, and that's going to you know make us keep Caldwell probably two years too long. We all know, I think, that he should have been fired after the debacle of his first year in the postseason alone, but that was never going to happen after an 11-5 season, but... Well, here's it's what, just disheartening. I'm I'm off the I'm off the train completely. Well, the Detroit Lions, uh, well respected by us, been on the show as a guest, uh, does a very good job. And if we had one of one Justin Rogers covering the Tigers, I think we would probably all be able to sleep easier. But this is what he tweeted out today to uh, one of the DSR's uh, regular contributors, uh, Aaron Majewski. This was in regards to the accusation that we continue to make, or that you're stating just now that the only reason Caldwell is still here is because Martha Ford ordered uh, Bob Quinn to keep him. And this is what Roger said to that, quote, fan myth, not reality. Repeating something a lot doesn't make it true. Now, I'm somewhere in the middle on this issue. I think Martha Ford, when they hired Bob Quinn, made it abundantly clear to him that, she loved Jim Caldwell. She thought he was a great guy, that he kept the team together last year when they were 1-7 and seven and they had a good ending to the season. He won 11 games. In his, I think she gave him the whole spiel and then said to him, wink, wink, but it's your decision. Yeah, but, you know, sorry to cut you off, but that's just like, you know, Casino with the mob telling Sam Rothstein that maybe he should cool it on the TV show. I mean, it's, maybe she left it up to him, you know, on paper, and then maybe that was how it was worded. I think at the very least it was made very clear that this was her boy, this is who she wanted, and, and that's, was, that's just how it was going to be. So whether or not it was explicitly ordered or implicitly, I don't think it really matters. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I, just, think, I think there's some, I just think it's somewhere in the middle. Firing everybody. They fired everybody but the peanut offender. He's blowing everybody up, and, and this boob somehow retains his job. I, I just don't buy it. No, I, I, well, like I said, I think self-preservation was involved. Look, it's not like the New England people who have been hired can have some braggadocio or some huge ego and say, look, I know I'm going to get it done here. I'm going to be here forever until I want to leave. If he looks at the Scott Piolis of the world and some other guys who came from that Belichick uh, tree, they haven't exactly set the world on fire. So I think it was – I think those few days he made a calculation – the owner of this team, who's 91 years old or whatever the hell she is, wants to keep the guy. If I do keep the guy, I make this lady happy who just hired me, and I get a free year because I'm using the guy that she wants me to keep. I think it was for preservation and to make her happy. At the But at the end of the day, whatever Bob Quinn did, he kept this moron, knowing what he was getting. Because as we stated on this podcast last winter, many times, you and I, an executive with the New England Patriots would know exactly what they were getting with Jim Caldwell more than anyone else. It would be like a Boston Red Sox executive um, having to determine the fate of Joe Girardi. I I don't think that's a stretch. And I don't think you need a degree from Bill Belichick University to even know that. I mean, there was a U.S. I think it was a USA Today article last year 
that polled executives around the league and had Jim Caldwell dead last in the entire NFL as a coach in terms of like strategic implementation and, and whatnot. I mean, everyone acknowledges that he's, he's good in the room. It's kind of like the Jim Leon thing, but dead he, last. Yeah. He went from years he, among he, coaches. So it, 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 you don't even have to have the Patriot connection. He's so, uh, he's just the, whatever the opposite of respect is <laughs> in, in that league. There's no way Bob Quinn, really respects this guy's football acumen and coaching ability. I just, I don't believe it. Well, you look at what he came from. He came from Rain Man. He came from an absolute genius. A guy who just went 3-1 and one without Tom Brady. 1-1 uh, and one with a quarterback who I don't know if he would be. Uh, who, who is he? Uh, it was one thing, well, I, well, the backup was a second-round pick or third-round pick or something. But the guy they went, they won, actually won a game with, I guess, against the Texans two weeks ago. I mean, how many guys are winning? So he sees what he had in Belichick. Now, you're not, maybe you're not going to get another Belichick, but don't you aspire to that? More than a guy like Jim Caldwell, who the game, the game moves too fast for Jim Caldwell if the whole game was in extra slow motion. It, it, it's just incomprehensible, and he re, he's getting what he deserves, Bob Quinn. This team isn't, I mean, forget everything else. I was sitting there at a cafe in New York with my uh, laptop and my sling box on, on one device, watching the Tigers on MLB on my phone. Uh, I, I don't know how my wife didn't divorce me after this trip. It's, I spent, it's, good, to get, it's good to get away from home, isn't yeah, it, I spent. I, I literally spent the entire weekend watching the Tigers and the Lions for my wife's birthday. When I wasn't at Belmont Racetrack, the Howard Stern Studios, or at a concert with Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, and Aziz Ansari. Happy, happy, birth, happy birthday, Melissa. Yeah, uh, no no one's ever going to give me husband of the year. Let, let's put it that way. No. Wait, you didn't have to chime in there. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Melissa, you're a trooper. <laughs> but anyway, the team was an absolute mess. You've got Golden Tate, veteran, one of your, one of your team leaders, supposedly, Running bad routes, leading to interceptions, getting benched. How many times has Matthew Stafford gone off on Golden Tate already this year in the last four weeks? You have Eric Ebron. The whole, thing, the whole thing with Caldwell is, you know, we were told, okay, he might not be a tactician, but you're going to see the discipline and you're going to see the buy-in. And we're not even seeing that. The silver lining of this guy isn't even there. Even the, the thing that even the people that uh, apologize for him and say, "Okay, well at least he's X Y Z," we're not even getting the X Y Z. He's just he's bad in every single way. He's condescending with the media. He insults the intelligence of the fan base again and again. He's just he's he's bad in every single way. At least Rod Marinelli had humility about him and didn't insult the media. If anything, the media was insulting him. Rob Parker, for example. So. He's just, there's nothing likable about this guy. And this is nothing that is surprising. We were seeing major discipline issues in year one, which was a great 11 and 5 season. And they were like second in the league in penalties then. I mean, it's just, the, the guy is an absolute disaster. And uh, it's incredible that he was brought back after last year. Yeah, they had a nice 6 and 2 run. They were 1 and 7. I mean, the season's already gone. I, I just, I don't put much stock into that 6 and 2 to finish last year. And I, it's only a matter of time at this point. When are they going to fire him? I mean, if they go one and four, I don't think that'll get it done. If they lose the next two at home, and this guy's not 
out here, I, I would be absolutely shocked, even by this franchise's standards. Well, the thing is, they don't have a bye till week 10. So they've got the three home games, Eagles, Rams, Redskins. Redskins. You'd think they'd have to go to, to, I mean, to have any chance at salvaging the season, which I don't think there is. You, you've got to go at least 2-1 and one in those three games, which means you're probably going to beat the Rams and Redskins. And the, Meanwhile, the Rams are 3-1, and one, which I don't know how they're doing that. Um, I don't think there's any guarantee they're going to beat the Redskins. And then they go play Houston. They go to Minnesota, which, good night, Charlie. That's the last game before the bye. You know, you'd have to wonder, you know, Terrell Austin has received, you know, interest in the last couple years. He's got interviews for head coaching jobs. You'd have to wonder at some point, does Quinn say, well, maybe I want to see what I have with Terrell Austin, promote him to head the head coach to see what he has? I mean, I, I don't know, but... That's the obvious move because this season, as far as I'm concerned, is already lost. And if you make the decision to play the Caldwell, that's assuming that they've lost, you know, two of their next three or three of their next five or whatever. At that point, it's kind of like a free ticket to can. It's a it's a free sort of observing of an internship of Austin. And then if you like what you see, you know, maybe you give them a two or three year deal and you know go from there. But it would be crazy. There's just no way Caldwell survives the year. I, I just don't see it. Why wouldn't you give Austin that, that opportunity? And I don't know that Austin's the answer either, but in a loss season, you know, give him a shot. I, we already know what Caldwell is, and I don't think any of us like what we see. No, uh, and I – no, I, there are some people who still support Brett Ausmus. I'm, I'm looking for anyone other than Rochelle Riley from the Detroit Free Press who is still banging the drum for a guy who – Started the season one and seven this year, and almost assuredly is going to start the season one and four this year. I, I don't see how their that team with that defense is beating the Eagles this week. I don't care where they play that game. I don't care if it's Ford Field or or, or the old Veterans Stadium. I, I mean, I know the lines have surprised us in the past, but this is a team that just gave up over three hundred yards to Brian Hoyer, a team that was giving significant running back attempts to Joyke Bell, who a week ago was supposedly coming back to Detroit. I said this the other day when this was going on. This might be the worst loss in Jim Caldwell's run in Detroit. Because, like I said, at least the Arizona game last year where they were completely humiliated and Matthew Stafford ended up getting benched, that was a team that was a Super Bowl contender. Yeah, they got run out of their own building, but that was a good team. It was a pretty damn good team. They just lost to arguably one of the two or three worst franchises in the NFL right now. A team that had lost eight straight games at home. I really didn't think it was possible for the Lions to go there and lose. And yet, they humiliated themselves. They had a tight end quitting on plays. They had defensive players arguing over assignments, leaving players wide open in the end zone for touchdowns. It, it, it was a total fucking mess from almost beginning to end. And like I said on Twitter, there should have been a joint press conference yesterday at the Elwood announcing the dismissal of both Caldwell and Osmus. Both deserved to be fired yesterday. In most towns, you probably would have got at least one of those done. In this city... Uh, no, we got zero, and we've got 
the entire media basically telling us what a great job Brad Osmus did this year, which I guess if we want to transition, to the, if you want to talk about the Tigers while you're on the line, I don't know if you're, if you're a caller, you're co-hosting, or what I'm supposed to call you at this point. <laughs> No, just a call. I have a couple of minutes left, uh, so I guess I'll, couple I'll minutes? Okay. just really quick. Um, you know, interesting, I had a conversation with the Tigers source two days ago. I should say indirectly. The source talked to someone close to me who I then spoke to. I'm trying to get a hold of them today so I can follow up on this, but the gist of the conversation was this. Chris Illich does not want to pay two managers. That's what I was told. And that's, it's been made clear. Now, that's not a, I'm not reporting that Osmus is definitely coming back, but the, the field down there is that the decision has still not been made, but they do not want to go in and hire certainly not a big ticket manager to replace them. They would either go on the cheap or it would be Brad Osmus. Now, well, they're not, they don't owe anything to Osmus at this point, right? I mean, he's, they can pick up an option, but if they don't, they, don't. they pick up an they pick up an option. That's what I, it seems to be. The option is either going to be a cheap replacement or retain Austin on the option. But I mean, you almost have to extend them. I would think. I I know he was a quasi lame duck this year, but it's almost unheard of to have a true lame duck manager or coach in any sport these days. But I mean, I don't know. That, that's well, that would be two years in a row part, that he was. But, that would be two years in a row that Osmus was basically on the last year, and it would be about yeah. five or six years in a row for the the Tigers where they were having they had a manager on the last year. I mean that's basically what Leland was going year to year, and you know you can make jokes, you know that was basically you know he could come back whenever he wanted, but there was that one year where there was a heavy discussion that Illich was fucking pissed at Leland, and there was a lot of questions if he was. I think that might have been the year they got to the World Series in two thousand and twelve. Um, if you remember correctly, there was a lot of question of if, if Illich was going to bring Leland back, and it's not like Illich didn't show ever show that kind of urgency. I mean, he did get rid of Dombrowski, kind of, sort of. So you know, but I, here's the thing: the Tigers announced, and I'm going to preface this with, by saying I think Osmus is going to come back. I just basically on what everything we're hearing. I think he's going to come back. But, you know, they announced last year around September 24th, I think, or 25th, in the midst of that last place season, that Osmus was coming back. This year, he had the team in contention for a playoff spot until the last day of the season. Say what you want about how impressive that is or not. And we're sitting here two days after the season ended, and we still don't know which leads me to believe that it, the decision hasn't been made because if the decision was made, why hasn't it been announced? Why was it announced two weeks ago? Why was it announced yesterday, today? I... Well, that's that's one thing I, I can report definitively is that they don't know. I, I mean, they don't know yet, uh, or at least as of two days ago, they didn't know. Um, I guess, you know, it was yesterday, yesterday. So as of yesterday morning, they have no idea. So, so why do you think you they're going to do it on the cheap? And if you and, and if they're going to hire a manager on the cheap, does that tell you something about how they're going to go about this off season? It's been I, it's a good point. I, it's been made clear on mine, and I think you have your own sourcing on this uh, general direction as well. That Chris Illich is not Mike Illich when it comes to the spend it all cost. Um, not you know it's not that he's 
keep or he's going to be flashing left and right, but he wouldn't have made the, the Prince Fielder transaction, for example. I mean, he's, he's not going to swoop in and, and make these grandiose moves the way, uh, you know, his father's been known to do. So well, I, but I, here, I don't think they... But here's the thing. Ahead. Here's the thing. There aren't any grandiose moves. Nobody is expecting any grandiose moves this offseason. There's pretty much none to make. The team's pretty much set as is, I would say, for 2017. You know, there's a couple of things you have to do. Uh, if you're going to pick up Mabin's option for $9 million. But here... but. But there's nothing that you, I mean, no Tiger fans expecting him to go on the market, <coughs> excuse me, and sign a big free agent. The question is if Mike Illich passes in the next, let's say, 60 days, is, is Chris Illich going to want to be the person who instructs Al Avila to trade one of the most popular players on the team in J.D. Martinez? Because if you're looking, or Ian Kinsler, because if you're looking at marketable guys who you could actually deal and get something back for, the list, in my opinion, is Kinsler, JV, and JD. Does Chris Illich want to be the heel of this town, the person who, because if that happens, nobody's blaming Avila. Everyone's going to point the finger, if, if Mike Illich is dead, at his son. Does he want to be that guy? Well, even if Mike Gillick isn't dead, if he's um, you know incapacitated, his current state of sadness, I mean, if he's incapacitated, or you know he's not involved. But right now, he's not involved. I mean, he he knows what's going on, uh, but he's not he's not involved in the operations of this team at all right now. So, so, um, so you're saying the source is we, say, the source is saying that Mike Gillick has got no connection to this team. It's all it's a, it's a Chris Illich, Al Avila production. As of right now, that's correct. But that was also the case for a, a period of time you know, seven, eight months ago, and then there was a bounce back um, in, in Mike's health. So, you know, it's it, we'll see. This is, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty much public knowledge now that he's dealing with cancer and um, has been sort of up and down health-wise for, for well over a year now. Uh, so, you know, is he in ho- do you know if he's in hospice? I do not know that. I The <laughs> terminology was that he is uh, not well. So, um you know, that's something uh, I'm trying to dig into a little bit more because I think it's important. You know, it's obviously a personal issue within that family, but I do think it's important from a sports fan's perspective because Chris Illich is a different guy. But you talk about flashing payroll. The trend in attendance for that team is not good. I mean, I think this is the fourth year in a row it's gone down. And, you know, what, what are the implications attendance-wise if you cut from this team? I think the attendance has gone down because the team is just stale. I, I think the fans are kind of not fed up, but there's, there's just no juice. There's no excitement there anymore uh, the way there was, you know, maybe a few years ago. So it's, yeah, I, I think you're going to further alienate an already slowly dwindling fan base if you make those moves, and that does affect the bottom line of the team as well. So See, see I kind of uh, disagree you know, about I, that. I think here, I just think that the stadium's older now. There's, no, there's absolutely no, you know, bells and whistles. There's no real immediate reason to go down there. But if you look at the TV ratings, they're, in all of baseball, the third highest ratings on television. So I still think the fans are captivated by the team, that they're still buying into the team. 
I just don't think as many want to go down to Comerica Park. They just rather watch it on Fox Sports Detroit. I mean, if you look at the ratings, if they're you know they're about what 14th in the league in attendance, I think this year. And like you said, they went down from like 38,000, I believe, in 2012 or 2011 to two th- to 31,000 plus this year. But people are still watching every night on television. It's still the highest rated show in the summer in Detroit. And other than two franchises, they're the highest rated team baseball-wise, television rating-wise. So I don't think that people have given up on them. Or I would say if, they, if that was the case, I'd say they'd fall down to 8th or ninth or 10th in ratings. They're still third. So there's something weird going on there why people aren't actually going down to the ballpark but they're still watching on television. And it, it kind of dovetails into another conversation that, that I was going to kind of have tonight because we now know, based on the reporting of Cranes, that the Pistons are in negotiations with the Illich family, obviously, to utilize Little Caesars Arena as their home in downtown Detroit, and they're going to... You don't have to read the tea leaves. I mean, pretty much, it's pretty much guaranteed that the Pistons are coming back downtown. Uh, they're looking for a, a practice facility uh, that's close to Little Caesars Arena. And I'm wondering, we, we, we both think that the minute Mike Gillich is gone, this team, the Tigers are going up for sale. And you have to wonder if part of the discussion about them moving downtown is Tom is 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 there a discussion of Tom Gores and Arntel and buying the Detroit Tigers? I think it would be better than Chris Illich keeping them because I don't think Chris Illich's heart is with the Tigers. Everything that we've heard again and again is that that next generation headed by Chris Illich, they're they're Red Wings guys. I mean that's that's where their heart is. I don't think they'll ever sell that team uh, while they're alive, but. Um, I don't think their heart is, is for the Tigers. The Tigers are Mike's baby. So that's very possible. And, you know, to use the expression, uh, reading the tea leaves, I, I, I think that's, if not possible, maybe even likely. It's, uh, it's very hard for it's me going, to believe but, that they're having these intricate discussions about the Pistons moving down to Little Caesars Arena without it ever being broached. Because, look, Tom Gores has a lot of fucking money. If you look up his net worth, I think he's worth more than any of the Illiches. Mike, Marion, I, I, I believe he's worth a substantial amount of money more. Yeah, he's, and, he's worth more than the Illich family. And, and it's hard for me to believe that Arn Tellham gave up that successful, he was one of the most successful sports agents in the business. It's just hard for me to believe, and I always thought this was an underreported story. I don't think anyone ever got to the bottom of it. Why he left that agency to become an basically an employee of Tom Gore's and the Detroit Pistons. I I could see, you know, if he had an interest in the baseball team too. That that making a lot more sense, and you know, everything I've been told that is that Dan Gilbert has his eyes on the Lions. If when Martha passes away. The sisters decide to sell that team, and at this point, it used to be we always, you know, kind of told that the sisters had no interest; they didn't want anything to do with the, the team. You know, that was basically Bill Ford Junior.'s baby, 
Now Bill Ford Jr. is on the outside looking in. You've got to get four people to agree to, to what's going to happen, plus their spouses, once Martha Ford passes. Um, from what I've been told, Dan Gilbert's kids go around telling everyone that they know that their dad one day is going to own the Detroit Lions. And the landscape of ownership in two or three years, maybe five years at the max, I could see Dan Gilbert owning the Lions, Gore's owning the Pistons and the and the uh, Red, excuse me, the Tigers downtown, and the Illich family keeping, uh, you know, holding on to not only the Red Wings but that obviously the new arena and all of the commerce and condos and everything that goes along with it. I think that's kind of where we're heading. I think Dan Gilbert's kind of a nut, but I would take the change in ownership. I got I got one minute left, so let me say thanks for having me. But I, I'm wondering. Where is my congratulations for winning the DSR Fantasy Baseball League without the use of the league manager function? I didn't know you won. You threw such a fit that day that the Houston closer, um, can't remember his name off the top of my head. Ken Giles. Ken Giles got rocked. I thought you were going to lose, so I didn't know you won. But if you did win... There was a 9-1 a, a to one thrashing of your former co-host, Jess Rapponia and Scott Fakeator Anderson. 9-1 to one in the finals. And uh, it is the ultimate vindication after two years of false allegations regarding my integrity that uh, I was incapable of leading a championship squad without Bill Belichickian cheat codes in the system. A true 9-1 to thrashing for the league title for the DSR Fantasy Baseball League. It's going to be very awkward at the draft next year. We have you. We have ECAB, who wants me dead, apparently. Maybe Jasper will be back. I don't. I don't, I don't think. Ja- I don't think Jasper and Scott Anderson are going to be co-owning a team. Yeah, I have a feeling Jasper is going to hold to his guns there about dropping out. But uh, I do believe that you and Bcab will be in attendance at the draft next year, and that'll be a little bit awkward. But uh, you know, nothing. You and I it wouldn't be the first time you and I have hung out after wishing death on one another. But uh, no, that's true for Bcab and I. This is uncharted territory. I do think it's funny. Your wife will probably be in New York City, though, uh, you know, not home. I, I, I want to talk about your your followers here, and then I got to go. You have you have certain people on, on that website who have the just lowest opinion of me ever, but in my several years participating in the, in the DSR, never once, you know, told me that. But the second I'm out the door, I'm, I'm Mr. Uh, Mr. Evil Pants over here. You know, I, I don't want to name too many names, but the Cavs on that list. Our good friend Adam Furman's on that list. I don't know. Other... No, no, no. First of all, I don't think anyone badmouthed you until like months and months after. It was not the mo- first moment that you left. I think it was after a series of events. I don't think anyone within, said. Within maybe, within maybe three or four days. No, 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 no. So, I... so but even if it's a couple months, I, I'm it's curious. Probably five how... months. When I when I was present on the website, all these people would say they were either indifferent or, or spy was great and spy is a DSR legend. I'm not sure how all of this behavior from like four years ago is suddenly so objectionable. But um, you know, I'm just pointing that out. You have to that, understand uh, that know, I am very Svenjali and a cult of personality and I I can meld people's minds. Well that's what you're doing because yeah, of course. He, he, here's the thing. You set the tone for the website. So if, if, if Jasper, for example, is a protected class, he's either not really gone after it at all or he's gone after it with kid gloves. And 
if, if Spiro's a protected class, he's a DSR number two, no one's going to fuck with him. Oh, but he left the DSR, so now he's just the worst person ever. Of course, ever. So you, I admit that. I, I will admit that. It, it, okay, it's fine. For, it's the DSR for does have benefits. The good, DSR does have benefits. You. I, 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 I run interference. For these grown men. I, it's not a criticism of you. It's a criticism of these sycophants who, because you told them, some other grown man who shouldn't be their superior in any way you could possibly think of it, you're not paying these people. Some, some person who is a peer is telling them not to like somebody, so they're going to they're gonna bomb them. They're going to look up pictures of their family and use them against them publicly. They're going to harass them. Look, I, I just think it's interesting that none of this, I, it's not a criticism of you. It's a criticism of these followers of yours. Now, for example, like Jasper, Jasper bombed me to my face all the time. So he and I have plenty of issues, but he's not someone that would be included in something like this. I consider, you know, Jimmy Petro a friend. He was very critical of me to my face plenty of times. No problem with him saying it after I left. Just be consistent. You know, to, to hear the first criticisms of you from people after you've left. I, I think you know, Mahir getting... was pretty critical of you before and after. Oh, okay. Mahir and I had debates. He's uh, ratcheted up times about 5,000 since I left. I, um, so, I mean, maybe someone has a softer example, but. I, 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 right. I, I had to pull out That's fine. some of these people before I left. I think it's very weak, and you had about six years to say something when I was there, so you should probably shut the hell up if you don't have the balls to say it when I'm there. That's all I'm saying. Uh, good show. I'm, I'm going to listen to the rest on the road here. All right. Well, uh, thanks for calling in. Bye, Justin. Yeah. Bye, Jessica. I miss you. I miss you, too. Oh, you should come back one day. Bye-bye. Get a, get a room. <laughs> all right. I'm going to take a break. When we come back... We will talk about the Tigers in more depth. We'll talk about Fennec and Henning and McCoskey uh, and all of that shit. Uh, maybe we'll even get to Mike Valenti's horse to end the show tonight. But we're going to play some songs and then I'm going to gather my thoughts. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back on the DSR podcast, Tuesday, October 4th. My name is Jeff Moss. Uh, eventful first hour of the program. During the break, I was just checking. I didn't look, even though it's October 4th. Uh, the Detroit radio ratings for September kind of wanted to see where the bounce was doing after skyrocketing, skyrocketing to number one in the ratings in August. 8.0 number. Uh, they had beat WXYTFM. The September ratings are out, and they fell back down to a 5.3, which is good for fifth in the market, but obviously still exponentially better than when they were um, the home of Ryan Romani, Tom Mazaway, Matt Derry. So still doing pretty well, but uh, not number one in the market, down to fifth, playing classic hip-hop, the same 50 songs over and over and again. (laughs) But uh, still much more of a market for uh, an iPod shuffle of Eminem and B.I.G. songs and salt and Peppa than, um, I guess, Rico Baird. So that's the number for September for WMGC The Bounce. So let's talk about the Tigers. And, you know, 
there's I don't even know where to begin with this, but I guess Saturday might be a good place to start. Because if you really want to talk about when the Tiger season pretty much ended, it was Saturday night. They had, the Tigers won the first game against Atlanta on Friday evening, uh, coupled with a loss by the Blue Jays. They they were in position to, to to at least control their own destiny to the point where if the Tigers won the last two games in Atlanta, won against Cleveland yesterday in a makeup game, they would have at the very least been into a playing game with Toronto, thanks to the Blue Jays getting beat by the Red Sox on Friday. And then came Saturday. And because so much happened with the Lions and Michigan and Michigan State and the Tigers and Verlander, the one nothing game on Sunday afternoon. Because it happened on the weekend, I think it kind of got lost in the mix, and that was the absolute abhorrent performance by the offense by a gentleman by the name of Aaron Blair. Aaron Blair was a starting pitcher for the Braves on Saturday night, the second-to-last game at Turner Field. And this guy came in with an ERA for the year and 15 games started, excuse me, 14 games started at that point, of over eight. He was atrocious. Even after pitching well on Saturday night, he ended the season with a war of minus 1.6. His whip was going into that game over 1.7. On the year, he had 46 strikeouts and 34 walks. That's a real bad ratio. I don't think I have to tell you that. In 70 innings. So this guy walks a lot of guys. He pitches the contact. He doesn't strike out many people. This guy is garbage. Terrible. And what do the Tigers do against him? They let him pitch six innings. They strike out 10 times. Aaron Blair, they strike out 10 times. Like a quarter of the guy's strikeouts for the entire year were against you on Saturday night. He had 36 strikeouts in 14 games started going into this performance this weekend. He gets 10 against you in a game that means nothing to the Braves and everything to the Tigers. Six innings, four hits, one walk, two earned runs. Now, I am loath to say sports teams choke. I almost I am on the polar opposite of most fans who, whenever a team doesn't do well, Blames it on gagging. I almost never do that. I probably can count on one hand in the history of my life where I accused a team of choking. But I don't know what else to call what happened Saturday night. 46 strikeouts for the season, 10 in that game. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It should be the final 
nail in Brad Osmus's coffin that you couldn't put up six or seven runs against this fucking bum. Now, you can talk all you want about the game on Sunday where they didn't score and they got shut out by Julio Tehran, but at least that guy is an all-star level pitcher. You got shut down by Mike Pelfrey on Saturday. Actually, Mike Pelfrey's stats were very superior this year to Aaron Blair. How do you go into this game and get struck out 10 times by this guy? Unless you choke. Unless you suffocate. Unless you gag. Because the moment was too big? We spent the entire year hearing portions of the fan base mocking Brad Osmus for the tip your hat when they get shut down by a guy like Shaquin on the Angels. And, and, and for the most of the year, I said, you people are ridiculous. I go on Ryan Schuling's show every Monday at night, 92.1 FM in Lansing. And Ryan is pretty much the biggest proponent, proponent of cherry-picking certain games where the Tigers got shut down by average or lousy starting pitching. And my point all season, going on Schuling's show on Mondays, on Twitter, was, Ryan, you focus too heavily on the Detroit Tigers. Go look at the Cubs getting shut down by trash pitchers. The Toronto Blue Jays spent the last month of the season with Josh Donaldson, Batista, Encarnacion, Martin, Tulowitzki. I can go down the list of that very potent offensive lineup. And there were many games where the Toronto Blue Jays got completely shut down by number five starters and quad-A pitchers. It happens to every team. We particularly focus on the Tigers. But I could make no excuse Saturday night for a team getting shut down by Aaron Blair. The same Aaron Blair who gave up six runs, excuse me, five earned runs and three and a third against Miami to start before that. Same Aaron Blair who got rocked by San Francisco in two starts before that. The same Aaron Blair in the month of June who had a 9.51 ERA. This guy was trash, and you couldn't get to him when you knew you had Jordan Zimmerman, a guy who should probably have been on the mound for the Tigers that night. You knew that you were going to need to score a lot of runs, and you got struck out 10 times. And then came Sunday when they needed help, which they didn't get anyway, and they couldn't help themselves and were eliminated from the playoffs. Which gets us to the apologists for Brad Osmus. It is absolutely incredible that not one person who covers the Detroit Tigers for a living has the view of about 95% of the fan base 
that Brad Osmus is just not a very good manager. And then he's had three years to prove it. And we are left with mediocrity, below average, whatever you want to call it. Brad Osmus is not very good. And I, in my article that was posted late last night, wasn't completely unfair to Brad Osmus. I pointed out things that I believe he's improved on in the last couple of seasons. Anyone who's listened to this show, anyone who's read this website for over a decade, knows I cannot stand sacrifice bunting. I fucking hate it. If sacrifice bunting was on the ballot against Donald Trump, I would be voting for Donald Trump. That's how much I despise sacrifice bunting. This past season, the Detroit Tigers were fourth from the bottom in sacrifice bunts. A pretty big improvement. And if you watch a lot of baseball games like I do, and you see the Terry Francona, the Ned Yost, even the Joe Maddens of the world, in second and third innings of baseball games, bunting their number three hitter, we had it pretty good with Brad Ausmus this year. Yeah, sometimes late in games, he attempted to bunt, probably not wisely. A lot of times it didn't work. But if you're just evaluating it on a guy who has minimized giving free outs away to the opposition, Brad Osmus did a pretty good job. You could make the case in the last six to eight weeks that he was putting people in proper bullpen uh, roles. Rondone, Alex Wilson, to a lesser extent, Justin Wilson. Uh, you can't blame Osmus for Shane Green kind of shitting the bed over the last few weeks. Um, I, I don't have a problem in the last second, in the second half anyway, what Brad Osmus did with the bullpen. But there's basically this straw man argument that the Detroit sports media, the people who cover the Tigers, have made. The people who don't like Brad Osmus somehow think he's anti-Saber, that he doesn't believe in advanced metrics. And that's not the case at all. If you watch how many times this team shifts defensively, we've gone from a manager who used to throw out Sam Menzen's reports daily, put him in the trash can and Jim Leland, to Brad Osmus, who, while he's not perfect, was a big improvement sabermetrically, over Jim Leland. Nobody can question that. But what I can question, and what I will question, is from Game 1 to Game 161 this year, there was no Game 162 because you couldn't fucking beat Willie Blair's illegitimate son on Saturday. So he only had 161 games this year. And lost a home date. I'm sure Chris Illich is thrilled about that. The lack of urgency from April to October. And how anyone can question that is fucking beyond me. And the three articles that we've seen over the last four days from Fennick, who covers the paper, excuse me, covers the team for the free press. Lynn Henning, 
for the news and Chris McCoskey. It's absolutely ridiculous, and this city is a joke. We actually had Anthony Fedick the other day write this. Managers are, managers are measured by wins and losses, and he's two for three in putting the Tigers in a position to win a World Series. What? What are you talking about? He has put the Tigers to win a World Series in two of the three years he managed? Did I miss those World Series appearances, Ant? Putting that in writing was dumber than the 10-page letter you wrote, single-spaced to the girl at Central Michigan University who didn't know your name. Who probably wouldn't have dated you if you had purchased a vat of Retin-A. Managers are measured by wins and losses, and he is two for three in putting the Tigers in position to win a World Series. They missed the playoffs two of those three years. The one year they made the postseason, they didn't win a game, Anthony. Even though they ran out Justin Verlander, a guy who might win the Cy Young Award this year, Max Scherzer, a guy who might win the Cy Young Award this year, and David Price. They didn't win one game against the Orioles team that was missing Manny Machado, Matt Wieters, and Chris Davis. Not one. But you, you dumb fuck, you child, you drunk, you stalker, you sexual harasser, you have the audacity to write that the Tigers were put into position by Brad Ausmus two out of three years? That's almost as dumb as when you late at night Facebook messaged a coworker at CM Life and asked her to fuck you. Almost as dumb. When you stated you pimple-faced dork that you were better looking than her boyfriend and that she should be fucking you and not him. I don't know how you could be better looking unless she was dating Cher's son for mask, Anthony. You imbecile. You simpleton. And remarkably, Fennec's article wasn't even the worst thing we had to read this weekend. Nope. It might have even got the bronze medal. Because then Lynn Henning, that senile fuck from the Detroit News, that paranoid psychopath who believes that anyone who criticizes him is me, which we'll get to in a moment, wrote an article saying that Tiger fans were unrealistic with their thoughts on the 2016 season. Even though they had a $70 million payroll advantage over every single team in their division, basically. 
the Tigers went out and signed Jordan Zimmerman, a number two starter. Lynn Henning said they weren't going to be big players on the free agent market. Wrong again, you dumbass. Then he said the Tigers weren't going to add anything to the corner outfield, that they were going to go with the Tyler Collins or Stephen Moya or whoever. And then the team spent $122 million on Justin Upton. They added players to the bullpen. They traded for K-Rod. They traded for Cameron Maben. Mike Gillis decided he was going to pay the luxury tax. And yet we were told we had too high expectations. That we shouldn't have expected to make the playoffs. Even though a team like the Baltimore Orioles, whose ace pitcher is Chris Tillman. Uh, look at that staff. Wade Miley. Ubaldo Jimenez. You're talking about running out Buck Farmer? And Zimmerman in the last couple of weeks? Did you see what Baltimore was throwing out there? Their whole staff is an abortion. Somehow they made the playoffs, and we didn't. And then we had to hear about the injuries because JD missed a couple months, and because Castellanos missed six weeks, and because Iglesias went on the DL for a couple weeks, and because Zimmerman was hurt. Well, guess what? When you have a $70 million payroll cushion, you should be able to absorb those injuries better than a team like the Cleveland Indians who are working on a shoestring budget and lost Michael Brantley for pretty much the whole season, their best player. And yet they somehow still won, what, 94 games? And won the division that you were in and bitch-slapped you around? For all those interdivision games all year? The Mets, the Mets lost DeGrom, Harvey, Cespedes for a Go down the list. The, the Texas Rangers won their division. They had no production whatsoever from their cleanup hitter who prematurely retired in the middle of the season. Teams get injuries. It's 162 games. It's a long year. And some of the Tigers' injuries were beneficial to Brad Ausmus and Al Avila. Because if we didn't have injuries, would Michael Fulmer have been called up in May? A guy who had a war over five? A guy who's going to win the American League Rookie of the Year? A pitcher who's probably going to finish in top ten, maybe? In Cy Young? Who was going to be better than Daniel Norris on that staff pitching in the three or four spot in the second half of the year? We got a lot out of Matthew Boyd that a lot of people didn't think was going to occur, including the person behind this fucking microphone right now. When you have a payroll of over $200 million, the least you can do is at least get into a play-in game, and they didn't do that. But we're spoiled. We have too high expectations. And if that wasn't a big enough insult, we had to be told that 
by Henning that Brad Auspice is now considered one of the best managers in baseball. And I quote, Osmus isn't a fan favorite, but the Tigers understand Osmus is not an issue and is becoming one of the game's better regarded skippers. By who outside the people paid to cover this team for a living? It's almost like the Tigers' PR department handed out talking points last Friday. to Fennec, Henning, and McCoskey. And they just wrote articles based on those talking points. But the funny thing is, if you listen to what Spiro says and you believe him, the Tigers haven't even made a decision on Osmus's future. These slapdicks, these sycophants, these cuckolds, are doing this all on their own. Why? They loathe the fans of this team. They despise having to deal with them on Twitter and social media, especially McCoskey and Henning. So they're going to stick it to us. Here's what McCoskey wrote. Now, you've got to keep in mind, Chris McCoskey goes back a long way in this town. Cover, he's covered every Detroit sports team in Detroit for the Detroit News at one point. Tigers, Pistons, Lions, Red Wings. There's only one constant. Whoever the coach he's covering, he's got his back. Whether it's Rick Carlisle, Larry Brown, Mike Babcock. Brad Osmus, Flip Saunders, whoever it is, that person can do no wrong. It's like this fucking depressed dipshit has Stockholm Syndrome. Never critical of the coach. Always in defense mode. And I quote, He is rarely, if ever, caught off guard in a game. His preparation is complete. He uses both old-school scouting reports and new-school data. And like all good managers, he has the ability to anticipate two or three moves ahead. What? Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody would agree that this guy is looking ahead two or three... It's the biggest complaint against him. Over 162 games, the way you manage your team is far more impacting than how you coach within the games. That's a hard concept for those outside the game to grasp, but it's the bare truth. He's basically telling you that the moves you make inside a game are pretty much irrelevant. Osmus was brilliant in all aspects of managing this season. I I don't even know where to go on this. This is the same guy who got accused by a member of his own paper for being bought and paid for by Osmus. 
George Hunter, and I'll bring it up every single time I talk about this fucking cunt McCoskey. George Hunter, a well-respected journalist of the Detroit News, the crime reporter, you know, an actual beat at the at the Detroit News. He has called McCoskey out over and over for being Osmus's lapdog, a guy who he works with. There is no bigger complaint you can raise with a fellow journalist at a at an opposing publication, but in your own paper to say you're blinded, to say that you're in the bag for a guy. That's what Hunter has said to McCoskey repeatedly. I've been saying it for 13 years, going back to when he was defending Rick Carlisle. Like Carlisle was the one paying him. But this is a guy he works with, in the same union with. Quote from Hunter, he is thin-skinned. My benign criticism resulted in him blocking me on Twitter. Ridiculous. Maybe if he wasn't a Brad apologist. That's a guy you work with who has no respect for you. They've circled the wagons for this guy. All of these shitbags. McCoskey, a guy who a few years ago wrote in an article that he's had suicidal thoughts about driving his car into oncoming traffic because a tree just wouldn't do. I volunteered yesterday to spare you people of having to read this anymore because obviously the publisher of the Detroit News isn't going to listen to his crime reporter and get rid of this guy and put in someone independent with a brain like Tony Paul to cover this franchise. That's not going to happen. So if McCoskey wants to get in his Honda Accord or whatever he drives, you can drive it right into me. I'll take one for the team. And what bothers me about this so much is you've got the free press and the news, both, running daily endorsements for Osmus, poisoning the brains of the, let's say, casual Tigers fans. Obviously, it's not going to change the minds of anyone who's watching this team 150 times a year. But the people who pick up the paper, go online and read, and they think, oh, well, seems like universal acclaim for Brad Ausmus. I guess they should keep him. Meaning there is absolutely no pressure on Alavio or Chris Illich to get rid of this guy. A guy who constantly has shown, whether it's Anibal Sanchez in game two in the ALDS against the Orioles being pulled, not pitching Albuquerque at all in that series, letting Anibal Sanchez come out third time against the order against Toronto on the last game before the All-Star break. This year, when everybody in the bullpen was pretty much ready, he had starters who could go because you weren't going to play till Friday, and this was Sunday. Kind of a big game in retrospect, I think. 
A guy who earlier in that series wouldn't send out K-Rod for a four-out save, although he did it numerous times after that because he looked like an idiot when Tulowitzki uh, took the lead against Alex Wilson. The moron. McCoskey had the fucking chutzpah to write that it was a positive somehow that he let a couple weeks ago with a season basically in the balance, Mike Pelfrey pitched to Brian Dozier, the hottest hitter on the planet. He let him pitch to that guy, even though every single member of the Tigers' TV and radio broadcast, people who are actual paid shills, they're paid to fluff the Tigers, to give us sunshine and rainbows. Rod Allen, Craig Monroe, Dan Dickerson, Jim Price. These people were all ripping on Brad Ausmus for pitching to Dozier in that situation with two outs and a, and a place to put him. Pelfrey gives him a pitch. He hits it out. Two-run dinger. Tigers lose that game. No urgency. Stupidity. Sarcasm. That's what we get from Brad Ausmus. Thinking two or three decisions ahead, he couldn't even think of the decision right in front of them to walk Dozier. This is the guy who's brilliant? This guy didn't cost us any games all year? And that's the other thing. Henning going on his absolute... Defense tour of Brad Ausmus by saying that a manager makes absolutely no difference. Zero. Look, we're not saying that you hire a manager and you can expect him to win 10 more games. But the Tigers missed the playoffs by a couple. You're telling me that a manager over the course of a season can't impact five or six games negatively. We know that Ausmus did because we watched it. We watched him bat Michael Villas, Andrew Romine, Tyler Collins, Jose Iglesias second. Many times this year. Because God forbid you moved up Miggy to number two and you moved up everybody one spot. Because it's more freaking important to get your best players at bats than to get a guy that's not even in baseball anymore, Mike Avilas, in the number two hole. I said it last week. It'd be one thing if the Tigers missed the playoffs and they got a new manager that was more copacetic with Jay Sartori, Sam Menzen, El Avila to a lesser extent. Someone who understood lineup construction. Someone who understood urgency during the six-month season because one or two games could be and probably will be the difference between making the postseason and missing it. But no, we're going to probably get the worst of both worlds. We're going to miss the playoffs, and we're now going to probably have Osmus for another year. And why not? There's no pressure from coming from anyone. 
don't underestimate the power of the media. Just look at the polls between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton every time the media gets on a bandwagon. It sways the polls by three or four points. The media wants to harp on Donald Trump's bad performance at the debate. Oh, wow, look, Hillary goes up four or five points. The media wants to focus on Hillary Clinton getting sick outside of a 9-11 memorial and spend five days talking about that and the email controversy, what happens? Donald Trump goes up in the polls three or four points. So don't tell me that the media can't sway public opinion. It's important. And while we've got four people who cover the Detroit news for a living, basically calling for Jim Caldwell's job, Again, we talked about Justin Rogers earlier. Three weeks in a row, he's given the coaching staff a failing grade in F in the paper. Kyle Meinke mocking Caldwell. Burkhead, even to a lesser extent, Michael Rothstein. We got four people critical of Jim Caldwell. We've got zero in this town who write for a living laying out the issues that I do on a weekly basis regarding Brad Osmus. And this straw man argument, once again, that we that the next guy is going to be, nobody thinks the next guy would be perfect. We'd have issues. I'm not, we're not asking for much. We're asking not to run a country club operation. If you see Mark Lowe pitch seven bad games out of the bullpen in a row, we're asking you not to throw him out there for the eighth. We're asking for you not to start Jordan Zimmerman in September when he hasn't pitched a good game in June. We're All we're asking for is when you can see that K-Rod doesn't have it and he inherits a two-run lead and blows it, to go get someone else who might be able to salvage that game. These should be things that are a bare minimum. Now let's get to some of Lynn Henning's tweets because this guy just absolutely takes the cake. Once again, going back to the old standby of anyone who thinks he's a boob, anyone who rips him on Twitter has to be me. He started this last night. To one George Dimitru who was bombing him for his article saying that Osmus is one of the top-tier managers in baseball. Quote, Jeff, do you think people don't know your tricks, your hatred, your sad evil, the 24-hour obsession with hating? So pathetic. A coward who hides behind aliases and works to destroy simply because he hates Detroit sports players. Life has more purpose. What alias am I hiding? Hey, 
Jessica, do we have a voice box changing my voice here? No. Uh, my name's Jeff Moss Lynn. My Twitter handle is Jeff Moss DSR. My byline is on Detroit Sports Rag on every article that I write. When I call you a dumb cunt. When I call you a senile fuck. I don't hide behind names. George here is not me. Listen to this defense of Fennec. Quote, Anthony has what what a regional troll and the 1,000 alias accounts he uses to spew swill will never know. Decency. The guy last night at 8.30 p.m. made the claim that Anthony Fennec has decency. Do you want me to bring down all the women that would beg to get differ, Lynn? Then he, he accuses me of buying fake aliases. You dummy. You old man. You don't need to buy fake accounts. You can sign up for as many Twitter accounts as you want. Twitter's not charging you for them. These aren't me. A large proportion of this city thinks you're a dope. Including your ex-wife. Who dumped you on a moment's notice without giving you any forewarning. I'm guessing you couldn't get it done in bed. I'd love to get Lynn's first wife in the studio for an interview. I'm going to guess you never gave the woman an orgasm, Lynn. I'm going to go out on a limb. Keep accusing people of, of, keep accusing me of being these people. And buying fake accounts? You psychopath. And I'll keep bringing up the fact that your wife left you. You got divorced. You tried to get a uh, annulment. You couldn't. So you've got a divorce and the Catholic Church won't allow you to be a deacon anymore. Probably because you couldn't find... the clitoris any better than you could understand what FIP or or RC plus is? Am I being mean? I don't give a shit. I'm sick of you spreading your bullshit to your followers and stating that I am am the only person in town who thinks you have horrible baseball takes. I am not. There'll be plenty to talk about this offseason. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure by next week we'll probably know what Brad Osmus's fate is. Still holding out hope that we get a Manny Acta, a Gabe Cap, where all I'm asking for is someone with similar ethos who's not going to drive me crazy for 162 times a year. Do I believe if Maniac is the manager that I'll agree with every single fucking decision he makes? Obviously not. But I'm guessing I'll know the place that it comes from in, in the decision-making process. Not only do we need a new manager, we need about four new beat writers for the Tigers. 
We'll be back with the last segment after this. Gun violence takes. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back, and end this pretty quick. Um, I touched on earlier in the show a quote from Jeff Blashill, which one of the most ridiculous things I've ever read. You know, the, now that the, the uh, Red Wings, excuse me, the Tigers' torture is over, we're about a week away from the Red Wings season starting, and we're going to probably next week dedicate a lot of the show to the Wings. Uh, maybe try to get Prashant Iyer on, uh, Anthony Ciotti, maybe some other Red Wing people, maybe some national people, like maybe try to get someone like James Myrtle on. I'd like to talk about the Wings as long as there's just nothing huge about, you know, the Tigers, a new manager or anything. Um, the Lions, I'm sure, will just lose on Sunday, and we can spend a few minutes on on uh, Carson Wentz carving up that horrible defense that's injury-riddled at the time being. But that quote I read earlier, if you're a guy coming in, you're trying to show us, that when you're going to make us better, when you're Timu Pulkinen, probably when you're Gus Nyquist, probably when you're Thomas Tatar, when you got when you are guys who aren't like Justin Ablocator, who brings other things like physicality and size and net presence, ultimately you've got to produce points. And in response to that, um, I just want to read a couple things from uh, Red Wing correspondent on the DSR, Topher Ryan, because it's more succinct than anything I could say off the top of my head. Abdul Click Cater played with Larkin all year, along with power play time on the first unit. After scoring in the first two games of the season, he went 14 straight without a goal. Here are the rest of his droughts. 7, 7, 12, 5, 8. Guy makes Franzen look consistent. Dupulkinen, Nyquist, Tatar, Slewfoot guys while down a man? Have they been suspended during a playoff series? Do they routinely take selfish holding interference penalties? in the offensive zone. That's your new alternate captain, a guy who takes dumb penalties and doesn't provide much. And you're going to, you're, and Blashill is going to kind of bag on Tatar, who is one of the better players just now at the World Cup of Hockey. This is what we have, this is what we have to look forward to this winter. Comments like that from Jeff Blashill. And Andre Drummond using virtual reality goggles to help him shoot free throws. What a time to be a sports fan in this fucking city. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thanks to Jessica. Thanks for Spiro for calling in. And uh, that's the show. This is a previously recorded episode.